Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. He didn't bump you, he didn't nudge you, he rubbed you. And rubbing son is racing. Hey race fans, welcome to the Hoobazoo Radio Network. Welcome to another edition of Drafting the Circuits. Buckle in for the next hour. We're going to talk about everything racing. My name is Frank Sanorowski. I'll be your host. I want to introduce you to the panel tonight. In the studio tonight with me, Mr. Gray Warren from Richard Childress Racing. I'm doing great. Hope everyone else is. Also from Richard Childress Racing, we're happy to welcome back to the show again, Mr. Richard Uden, who's also worked with Williams Formula One. Richard, how are you? Good to have you back. It's great to be here. Thank you. Yep, thanks a lot. I hope everybody else is good. Excellent, excellent. Uh, Joey Barnes from IndyCar.com and Motorstores Tribune. Joey, how are you? Doing good. Excited to get this uh, thing rolling. A lot going on in racing. There's a lot to talk about, indeed. And Christopher DeHarty's in the house with us as well. Christopher, how are you? 
In the almighty words of Ice Cube, today was a good day. Today was a good day. And last but certainly not least, Motorsports Tribune's NASCAR correspondent, Seth Eggert. Seth, good to have you on board tonight. How are you? I'm good. Good to be here. All right. Well, we've got a lot to talk about today. A lot of, uh, you know, all three major uh, race series were in action. Um, we had uh, Phoenix with the Penske 1-2. We had Richmond with the Penske 1-2. Um, and we had Formula 1 over there. In Russia, in Sochi, seeing uh, Valtteri Bottas take his maiden Formula One win. Always an exciting um, day when we have a new winner in Formula One, and we'll get into those uh, all those races, break them down here shortly. Uh, but but there was a bit of uh, disheartening news uh, that came out this week. Um, Indianapolis uh, newsman Dave Calero or Calabro rather um, has been trusted by John Andretti uh, to share his story. John, of course, the uh, uh, nephew of Mario, cousin of Michael, uh, John Andretti, who has won races in uh, stock cars, uh, open wheels, um, dragsters, um, and he's the guy that invented Double Duty Sunday. Uh, John has been stricken with stage four colon cancer, um, which is sad to hear. John is a guy who spent uh, his entire life um, doing philanthropic work. Wow, that should not be that hard to say. And... Um, helping others and and he finds himself in this situation um he he waited till he was 54 to get screened for a colonostomy uh they say do that when you're around 50 um and then the diagnosis was not good when he put that off so uh, in typical john andretti fashion he has um is using his situation as a platform to kind of raise awareness for this and they, they've got a hashtag check it for andretti encouraging uh uh, men uh, 50 or older uh, to get regular screening. Um, and John's fighting hard. He's, uh, uh, you know, he's not given up by any stretch of the imagination. He says, "Hey, this is a race I can't lose." Um, but uh, every one of us in the racing community are really uh, kind of pulling for John. He's one of the really truly nice people uh, in the paddock. One of the most genuine human beings I've ever had the chance to meet. So we're all thinking about John um, as he goes through this battle. So. Um, with that said, Gray, have you had a chance to um, interact with John Andretti over the years? I know he's been 17 years in NASCAR. Yeah, a little bit. Many years ago when he was driving for the Petties, uh, you know, had dealings with him. Uh, John's a great guy, nice fella. Uh, I remember when he drove for uh, for Kale Yarborough's team as well in in, uh, in, in the Cup Series. Uh, not Super nice guy. Uh, you know, obviously comes from a tremendous family as well. Uh, just my, you know, my thoughts and prayers go out to to John and his family, and hope he can beat this thing. Absolutely, yeah. And speaking of John, he has driven for like every big name in racing you could think of. If you look at who his car owners have been, you know, I mean, number one, he's he's born as an Andretti, but he's driven for Richard Petty, he's driven for AJ Foyt, he's driven for Cale Yarborough, um, you know, and I think he drove for. Um, uh, who did he drive for in the drag racing? Was a big name out there. I can't. It, it escapes he, me. But um, he also drove for Dale Senior uh, in DEI. I want to say at one point he did drive for DEI, but I believe that was after after I Dale Senior had passed on. Yeah, but but certainly you know certainly John was well known and or is well known and, and well liked in the racing community. So we're all thinking about it. But uh, so speaking of NASCAR and the ovals. Um, Penske one two at Richmond. Um, you know, there's a lot of similarities between the the Richmond race for NASCAR and the the um, 
the IndyCar race at Phoenix. Uh, you know, one of those being the Penske one two. The other being just the really poor attendance at Richmond. You know, and, and Phoenix, of course, much worse. But uh, uh, and I, I believe it was Denny Hamlin who had some some harsh comments about the quality of the racing and the reason folks in Richmond aren't coming out. And that's uh, for Denny. That's his home track. But uh, anyways, Gray, I'm gonna let you take it away. Um, let's go through uh, Joey Logano who won in his 300 start. Is that correct? That is correct. All uh, right. So, yeah, so, take us through it, he's, Gray. I think he's about uh, – Seth can back me up. I think he's about the sixth driver uh, to win in his 300 start. Uh, he's either the sixth or the seventh. I would yeah. have to look that back up. Yeah, I, I think I saw a graphic on that. But a uh, uh, good run for Joey. Beautiful Sunday afternoon for a race. Uh, uh, great uh, – the track was very slick. I thought it created some very good racing uh, multiple grooves, multiple lanes, a lot of good side-by-side racing, uh, you know. And uh, I thought uh, thought it was I thought it was a terrific show. Just uh, you know, not many people saw it. Uh, uh, but uh, you know, don't know what uh, they're going to have to do. That that's caused for a lot of discussion this week about the poor crowd and the and the uh, low TV ratings. I think all series kind of suffered through that this weekend. Don't know, you know. We've we've of course we've. We've talked about that many, many times on this show. But uh, to get back to uh, to the actual race, uh, started off the weekend, you know, with uh, with you know Joey Logano ended up having to start at the back of the pack. Uh, had to make a, a unapproved transmission change on Sunday morning, and he had and relegated him to a, a back row start. And he uh, they used he and Todd Gordon used a little bit of strategy, and he had a good car and uh, and worked his way through the field and. Uh, had parlayed some late cautions and some things and some some like again some nifty pit work to uh to get up there and be able to uh to win the race kind of somewhat controversial uh uh finish uh kyle bush i think probably had the dominant car uh, and was probably headed for his first win of the season uh one of those late cautions uh everybody went to uh pit road and uh kyle uh, kyle was busted for a a commitment line infraction, and it was razor thin on the uh, what NASCAR would let you get away with. Uh, they were told in the drivers' meeting that they had to keep uh, all four tires beneath uh, the line entering the pits, and I believe Kyle kind just did have his right side tires touching the line uh, again. Very close call. I think this is one of the things that you know. A lot of fans have alluded to over the years some of the some of the calls that have uh, gone uh, gone you know to to actually uh, determine who wins these races. But anyway, uh, Kyle was busted for the, for that, relegated him to the back of the field, and kind of left Joey with uh, a clear shot. Uh, uh, Brad Keselowski also had a good run uh, in in his car, and and the Penske boys were able to parlay uh, parlay that into a one-two finish. So. Uh, uh, that's kind of how it went this weekend. A uh, few other things that uh, went about. Uh, uh, I guess one of the big news on qualifying day was that uh, uh, Austin Dillon uh, was uh, penalized for uh, with a 30-minute penalty uh, sitting on the end of pit road, and, and they docked him 30 minutes of time in the first practice session because if his team failed the LIS inspection at Bristol five times. Uh, NASCAR really, you know, has cracked down on that a lot this year. Uh, not only did they, did they dock him practice time, uh, but they uh, 
uh, he had to forego his uh, choice of, uh, of pit uh, pick, and he did not get to qualify for the uh, – had to go through inspection, but did not – was not allowed to qualify uh, for the race at Richmond, had also had to start at the rear of the field. Uh, and that pretty much handicapped him uh, throughout the day. And uh, Slugger, uh, Slugger Lab, Labby, his crew chief, was, uh, was left at home uh, for that race, but he will be back uh, on the pit box at Talladega this weekend. So a uh, little bit of a uh, quandary in the uh, RCR camp this week, but hopefully they've been able to put that behind them and they can go on to uh, Talladega and, and move and move forward from that. But uh, at least they know that NASCAR now is uh, not fooling around and it's probably sent a message throughout the garage area that they aren't going to fool around with this this year and it's going to people aren't going to be uh, playing those things uh, uh so close, uh, you know, to to uh, to the limit, pushing pushing uh, the LIS. Uh, going back to Kyle Busch and the commitment line penalty, he wasn't the only driver this weekend penalized for the same infraction. Uh, Dale Earnhardt Jr. was Eric Almirola, and he came back to a ninth place finish. Ryan Newman, I believe, was at one point. Uh, I want to say there was about. Eight or nine drivers in yeah, the cup race, think, and about uh, five or six in the Xfinity as well. I think I think Martin Truex got a penalty as well. Yeah, Truex. Yeah, and it was uh, that was a little bit unfair because he had to had to drive around a safety vehicle that yes. was parked on the entrance to pit road, and you know he was like, "Well, what can I do?" You know, it, that was uh, the only one that I didn't agree with. Yeah, if there was any that there were. Uh, also, something else I saw this weekend, and I actually had to look it up to make sure it was right. The last time Chip Ganassi Racing led the uh, Cup Series point standings for this many weeks in a row, Sterling Marlin was driving the number 40 Coors Light Dodge. Jamie McMurray was a development driver in the then Bush Series. And Kyle Larson was starting the fourth grade. How about that? Yeah, that would that would Time be flies, that I'll would be you. rough. That'd be roughly either that would be around two thousand two thousand and one season. Uh, two thousand two because it was Dodge. Okay. Yeah, well, yeah, I yeah, remember well, Sterling with that Coors car. Yeah, two thousand one yeah. and two thousand two. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. All right, so in, in another bit of news, I just wanted to just confirm this with you, NASCAR guys. Um, so Penske has given up their appeal um, on the yes. uh, penalties from earlier in the season. So. Um, so Paul Wolf is going to serve a suspension, and he has rest. two weeks left of it. So right, right. this week and next weekend, and, which uh, so that's going to put Keselowski with uh, without Paul without Wolf for Talladega, correct? Correct. And then he'll be back. For, yeah, for, but for you know, and I tell you that that organization is so deep. Uh, oh yeah, they'll be, yeah, they'll be fine. They've they've already proven that they can. Uh, they can win with uh, with substitutes on the box too. That 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 organization right now is on a roll, and uh, and I think they'll uh, they'll be fine. Yeah. But, uh, go ahead, go ahead, Seth, and I've I've got. I was going to say not on Keselowski. Okay, uh, you go first because mine's the Xfinity series. Okay, yeah, no, just real quick. Uh, you know, if any of our viewers have not had the opportunity to watch uh, some of Brad's uh, campground visit videos. Um, that he does before the races. 
Um, it's really neat. It's a really neat thing that he does. He gets there on his golf cart um, with his, uh, this last one he had. He had his little baby girl in his lap, and his wife's filming him with the phone. Um, he just drives through the campground looking for anybody flying an American flag or a Miller Lite flag, and will go go and say, hey, I'm Brad Keselowski, and just it blows people away, and he gives them a bunch of free stuff, including a case of Miller beer and uh, a lot of swag, and just uh, just to watch these things is really neat. You don't see a lot of drivers just, just you know, just go out there on their own, you know, with uh, uh, out there into the campgrounds and just, just meet with fans like regular people. I just think it's really... Really a neat thing if you haven't had a chance to watch any of those. And those would be on, uh, I think it's Miller, Miller, hashtag Miller 2 Crew. Um, you can find those. So just it's just some fun to watch. But uh, what I was about to say, uh, not only was there confusion and controversy in the cup race, we also had some in the Xfinity Series race with the way it ended. Because... The caution came out when Ryan Reed, Cole Custer, and I want to say it was uh, Daniel Hemrick got together on the backstretch on the with about a lap and a half to go. They threw the caution, lights came on, flagman didn't wave the yellow flag. So Larson and Justin Allgaier continued racing, slowing down on the backstretch on the final lap. Larson dropped the window net as if it was a cool-down lap. And then Allgaier gassed it back up and two of them raced to the line under caution. So there was a little bit of confusion on multiple parts there. That sounds like a mess. <laughs> How does the flagman not get the word there? I I don't know if either he didn't hear it or if they he just didn't relay the to him. <laughs> don't I, I don't know. Uh, the thing is, though, Larson and Allgaier were in turns three and four when the caution came out. So by the time the message was relayed, they were at least at the entrance of Pitt Road. So I'm not... It reminds uh, me of 1997 Indy 500 when the, the green lights came on. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. On for the last lap of the race, uh, or rather the yellow lights are still on, but the green flag was waving at the start-finish line. They had a one-lap dash at the end there. And, of course, they were saying, you know, what are they doing? Um, I don't understand how they don't get that message. I mean, it's 2017. We should have, they should have it in his ear saying, yellow, 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 wave the flag. Shouldn't it be instantaneous? I, I think there's a little bit of confusion as well, because from my understanding at the Xfinity race, they have one green-white checker, and it was a green-white checker finish. All right. Uh, and, so it was overtime. It was overtime. Sorry. So that was it. 
no matter what happened, it was. I think the race had finished. They couldn't have another restart. So I think it was. I think everybody was. I know the teams were confused. Well, uh, they were. Uh, sorry, Richard. Uh, they were past the overtime line, so the race was official. It was just whether or not it was official at the moment of the yellow lights coming on, the or the flag waving that uh, yeah. some teams were questioning, and other teams were also questioning if Larson was right to drop the window net when he did because he hadn't taken the checkered yet. Uh, ultimately, they credited Larson with the win. It was just a, there was a lot of confusing things going on all at one time. Yeah, and I'm sure that'll be discussion for the Xfinity officials, uh, you know, before the next race, see what they can do to prevent that sort of thing. It just sounds like a sounds like a comedy of errors, sounds like a bit of a mess. So, um, but anyway, you know, we do have a lot to talk about tonight. I kind of want to... Someone's phone's ringing. <laughs> I want to move on to the... Um, That's a topic changer right there. Topic changer. <laughs> I want to start talking about IndyCar in Phoenix, uh, Valley of the Sun. Uh, the second second year we're back there after an 11-year absence. Last year's um, event did not produce a stellar show. Um, it produced a win by Scott Dixon, who led most of the laps. Uh, this year they did little to change anything uh they didn't want to do tons uh, they had some ideas with, with with what they could do um you know take taking the hole out of the of the the, the base of the car uh to seal some of that air up um you know trimming out a little bit um you know a lot of drivers said they want hey we need a little more horsepower and a lot less downforce um indycar's answer was to increase the z-wing uh, and which actually added more downforce, and you saw that there was very little passing. Um, it, it, it was strung out. That we had a crash at the start that should have should have pulled a red flag, um, and instead we had 21 laps under caution. Um, I, you know, only 2,000 people showed up. I, I don't know where else to go with this other than it was a shit show, and they better do better next year at Phoenix. Uh, so, Joey, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw it to you. Um, and, and ask what the positive spin is on Phoenix. PG-13, huh? Yes, sir. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, it's Phoenix is, is difficult in some ways, but I'll start from the beginning. I, I actually didn't mind the fact that that race beg- wasn't red flagged and that they ran 21 laps under caution. I know that sounds heinous whenever you hear that, perhaps, but we we saw them run on USAC rubber for a lot of those uh, – for the practice session for qualifying a lot of that weekend and you had vintage racing and um and the the USAC silver crowns running on that and so you had a different compound of rubber if I remember right at Hoosier for USAC so um track's a little slick had some some different rubber compounds that Firestone doesn't quite maybe mesh as well with compared to that of what the the Continentals are whenever they have share sports car weekends or even Cooper when Mazda Road Indies with them so Getting a chance to knock off some of that rubber was probably needed because a lot of the drivers were, were talking about it being a little bit slick at the start of the race, and that's probably a good reason why they decided to not throw the red flag and try to try to dust that thing off. Um, I the the negatives obviously are there with with something like uh, green flag passing uh, when it came to trying to get the lead. We saw Elio Cashinevas. Um, start from pole lead early on looked like he was really, he was my pick to, to break the drought. And I really thought that that was going to happen. 
uh, just because it's so difficult to pass the leader. And you go back to last year, I mean, Montoya, that was his race to win until he, he ran into those tire issues. So I, I kind of felt like that was going to be the same situation. But unfortunately, um, green flag pit stops and other things kind of hindered that. But, um, I mean, ultimately, I think the one thing that I, that I like about what they did here by leaving it alone is because we've got so many things that are changing for 2018 and you know it, it to a degree you wish you could do more and, and you know they have the power to do what they want ultimately um indycar does to decide what package they want to roll with with uh, the competition package and this and that and the other and i know drivers feedback is well warranted um with guys like what what jay fry and all them handle but um you know we saw J.R. Hildebrand, and I know that that DeHarty's waiting to get this line in there about about how he was. But you know, he's got broken hand and all. Ed Carpenter car was still passing cars right and left. You know, we saw we saw Joseph Newgarden pretty strong. So you know, there was still some cycling through the pack, and it really warranted the guys who could really muscle the car and get the most out of their their car, trying to find a different groove, trying to find a different line. Um, you know, I, yeah, it's unfortunate that the the yellow came when it did, when several drivers were on pit road. But you know what? That's racing. I, we see that stuff happen in NASCAR all the time, um, where you just got guys that get caught out in, in a wrong situation, and suddenly half the field's a lap down. So, you know, it's a one-mile track. Those things are going to happen. you got to be worried about those things. So, um, you know, I just wonder what we could have done different realistically you know whether that be from from because we don't know how much these things that we would like them to change would have affected things from a cost standpoint because we are creeping up on the month of may the most expensive month of the year um at that time now may is here so you know you kind of wonder what you could do differently but i um, overall it was still fine uh in my book i didn't really mind i actually thought the race was decent um but you know, fast forwarding this to Gateway, and um, they had a pretty good draw for the test. So yes, they did. Yeah, they were more people at the Gateway test run the Phoenix race, and uh, enthusiastic too. So and you know, Gateway is a total different animal for Phoenix. So Gateway um, drives like a road course, is what uh, Connor Daly, who was fastest in the session, uh, said. And it's it's been a number of years since we've been at Gateway. It's been a number of years since anybody's been at Gate, Gateway. Really, they're under new ownership and the new track owners have done a really nice job of, uh, of uh, upgrading the facility. So, Well, and, you know, I, I like the fact that it's in the Midwest, uh, the fact that we have an oval outside of Indy, outside of Iowa, that's actually in the Midwest, and I think that's a big reason why you saw the, the draw maybe to, to what it is. And, you know, combine that with the fact that, you know, Phoenix, it, it we're, we're doing Phoenix, what is this, three weeks about three weeks after Long Beach, if I remember right, instead of instead of maybe creating a small West Coast swing of our own by doing Long Beach followed up by Phoenix or vice versa. And I know that, you know, the, the NCAA finals, I think, played a hand in that um, somehow with the with the college basketball tournament and what they had going on down there. And, um, you know, so those things happen. Those things are unfortunate and everybody has to kind of work together. Um, but I like the fact that we're going back to gateway. I love what I saw from the test. I mean, and I loved what I saw overall. Um, 
you know, Connor Daly and AJ Foyt car leading Penske cars, you know, so um, it's pretty good. Um, you know, Chris, I mean, what are your thoughts whenever you had a chance to kind of look at the, the speed chart there? I didn't understand it. Daly's first at Gateway, but, you know, at Phoenix, him and Munoz were really out to lunch in the Chevy Brigade, as well as Carpenter, but Carpenter I can understand because he had a fuel leak uh, or a major fuel issue in practice. Um, that's another thing that I wanted to bring up was if you look at the qualifying from Phoenix, it was five Chevy cars, then it was the entire Honda lineup, then it was uh, the two Foyt cars and Ed Carpenter. Um, I mean, you just wonder, you know, what's the what was going on there with the Foyt team, but I mean, you had daily, you know, have 70 laps in the pits with the gearbox issue, and then all of a sudden, oh, wow, he's leading the gateway test. How did that happen? Um, I mean, testing, though, we always we always talk about this. In testing, you don't know what program they're on. I mean, for all we know, they could have been on a light fuel load and fully trimmed out just to go after that best lap time to put speed out there when Penske may have been on a whole different agenda. This is quite true. Um, but... I'm glad to see that there were a good amount of people at the Gateway Test. It's been a long time since IndyCar has been back there. Um, I've actually seen the track once when I went to St. Louis a long time ago, and it was actually really interesting. Uh, I'm looking forward to trying to get to go there this year. They had a couple of Indy Lights cars out there as well. Juan Pedrojita and Shelby Blackstock were out there just doing kind of a, a light test test run uh, from what I saw. And, you know, to, to that other end, um, I'm excited to see – uh, what Indy Lights gets a chance to do. So um, uh, overall, the weekend is going to be fun. Uh, I'm excited for the Gateway. I love for the for the Gateway race, and I'm I'm doubly excited the fact of that you know a it's close to home, but also the other end of that is it's another oval in the Midwest, uh, and we need to continue to go after tracks in the Midwest. I I believe the the Gateways, the Kentucky Motor Speed Speedways, uh, things of that sort. I, I think that. Um, Slowly but surely, we're, we're making our way to those. I think the coolest thing with Gateway is that it's more of an independent track, if I remember correctly. It's not associated with ISC or SMI. So, um, you know, by that estimation, get, getting a chance to give a show to the, to the little tracks around the country is a lot of fun. And it's something that I wish NASCAR would kind of go back to. But um, let's, also, so that, let's also not forget, though, that this particular weekend is – the fact that they brought back Indy Lights the first year, it's good for the paying customers because it's not just one race you're looking at. You're looking at, you know, Indy Lights, but also Pro Mazda as well. Um, and quite frankly, having multiple races on the schedule the first year back is a good thing. And I think it's something good they did with Phoenix last year, but Indy Lights didn't put on as good of a show as we hoped for, which is one reason why I bet they wouldn't weren't going to go back there this year. But it's great to see that we're having multiple races on the calendar. Fantastic, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah, and you know, lastly, on this Dover test, or not Dover test. Thanks, Seth. Um, on on the Gateway test. Um, Sorry about that. On on the Gateway test, you know, I saw the track um, do a lot to try to make sure they could put this together, not just for for the drivers and the fans that were there, but just to create something special because they got nine and a half inches of rain uh, two days leading up to that. So. To, you know, we had to keep pausing for track inspections and things of that sort. The fact that we were still able to get that situation in, you know, it's older asphalt out there. So um, I was a little worried about that because of Texas. We all know how that was last year. So um, good to see everything kind of come together and everything for 
for once run smooth. And, you know, if that's the kind of show that we're going to get as far as fans um, coming out to a test, if we're going to get those numbers, you know, multiply those by 10 or 15, I'm going to be really stoked to see how that gateway uh, race turns out. Seth, did you have anything for that? As far as Phoenix is concerned, I, I'll i be honest, I watched the race, and I understand the whole uh, bad timing for pit stops and stuff like that. Only thing I didn't understand is, at this point, uh, why does IndyCar not have a lucky dog or wave around system? Typically, when you run into a situation where guys stay out, um, it's because it's because they haven't pitted yet. So the second they pit, I mean, we saw that with Pagano. Majority of the field um, managed to get the wave around. So it, it put them kind of on the back foot um, because of track position. But, I mean, to be completely honest with you, I, I like the way the system is. Um, I, I don't you know, actually having to earn something and it not be manufactured in there. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm okay with that. You know, I, I'm, I'm a little bit more old school when it comes to that sort of thing. Like I'm not a big fan of this lucky dog stuff and I really haven't been, I liked it whenever we saw drivers fight to stay on the lead lap. Now they'll just fight with the lead, with the first car that's a lap down. And even though those races can be fun and exciting, I want to see a lapped car or a car that's about to go a lap down, fight off the leader. The same way I used to watch Dale Earnhardt fight off Bobby Labonte at Atlanta later come back from being almost a lap down to win the race. I mean, those are the things that are fun um, to me. And, um, you know, now we see drivers more less likely to, to do that. So, yeah, yeah I, know, I, I like I the way it is. IndyCar tried to address that with, uh, with the, the use of the blue flag this weekend as well. Um, they they yeah. would only blue flag, uh, show the blue move over flag to somebody that was uh, a lap down to the whole field. So if you were, if you were, being lapped by the leader, but you were, you know, you're you're in the top ten there. They're not going to show the leader the blue flag. They're going to make you fight for it, which I thought I thought that was pretty cool. But the, again, you know, the, the problem is yeah, your last place car is running pretty close to the same speed as your first place car, making it very difficult to pass anybody. So, but uh, just one more note out of Phoenix uh, that we didn't mention: um, Simon Pagano, first oval race win, um, first of probably several, uh, as if. Uh, as we've seen, you know, his career grow, um, this is just going to open the, open the doors for him. You know, it's uh, same thing with power. It took him forever to get that. took him a while to get that first oval win under his belt. Uh, but once he felt comfortable with it, you know, now he's going to be a force to be reckoned with there. So with that being said, uh, let's uh, talk about the Russian Grand Prix. Um, Richard, were you up early enough in the morning to watch it? Oh, I saw that. Yep. No, I wasn't going to miss that one. Yep, yep. So uh, let me just, I'll let you lead us off then, since you've been quiet so far. Um, kind of take us through the, the Russian Grand Prix, and anybody else that wants to jump in, uh, we'll go ahead with it. It was it was a fascinating race race weekend in many ways. You know, we, we typically talk about the actual race itself, but in the past few weeks, we've seen a situation where the dominant team uh, over one lap pace has, has been the Mercedes cars, and then You've seen Ferrari come through in the race uh, with maybe slightly better strategy and better long-run pace. Uh, we, we've certainly seen that in um, Australia and, and, and um, at Bahrain, where Sebastian Vettel uh, could could keep up with uh, Bottas in those early laps and then then force his way past through through some good strategy. Whereas the Russian Grand Prix, you didn't see that. You saw the Mercedes cars. Maybe throughout practice and qualify and qualifying, they were concentrating on race 
uh, setup, whereas the Ferraris they went with a slightly different strategy and went more um, more towards the qualifying setup. And then come come the Sunday morning, that drag race down to the first corner, uh, you know, Bottas had a great start, got around uh, Vettel and Raikkonen, and, and just drove away with it. Um, yeah, I think a lot of these temperature issues that you saw um, the Mercedes cars talking about were over-exaggeration. I don't think they were ever in any real danger of the cars retiring from the race like Toto Wolff would make you uh, believe. I mean, if you listen to Toto's uh, post-race uh, press conferences, it's a miracle they ever finish a race. Uh, <laughs> That's funny. But they're, um, you know... Who do you think he owns, McLaren? Well, yeah. <laughs> At least they can start a race. Um you know, Toto likes to uh, glamorize things and make it sound a little bit more stressful for them than it is. But, you know, they were in control of that race. And to see that sort of switch around in strategy and, uh, you know, the, the teams almost have a role reversal, um, you know, it was, it was an, a really interesting thing to see. And whether that was a strategy thing from Mercedes that they did concentrate more on uh, race setup. Uh. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting? Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Uh, Post Friday, uh, and maybe Ferrari went more qualifying setup. Uh, is interesting, and of course we'll see, you know, c- coming back into into Spain in a few weeks with the, you know, probably the majority of the teams will bring quite big upgrades after those uh, early season flyaway races. It'll be interesting to see how those first uh, the first round of upgrades uh, affect the cars and affect any there's any big changes in the in the pecking order come uh, come Spain. You know what was encouraging to me, you know, it, so far this season is, you know, it, it's a two horse race where you know. I, I'm glad it's, we've seen the resurgence of Ferrari, and I thought it's made uh, the the first three rounds uh, of this season a lot more interesting than it has in the in, in the past several years. Oh, definitely. I mean, you you know, I think we discussed this a few weeks ago. There's no guaranteed winner now. You don't look at you don't go into a Sunday morning when you turn the TV on and think, well, the only way somebody apart from a Silverados is going to win is if they have problems or they take each other out or whatever it may be. Now, you genuinely don't know who's going to win the race, uh, which, is, which is what you need. You, know, you need that from a, from a spectator point of view and a fan point of view. So you've got that, uh, that unknown element to it. Yeah, you know, what's funny is, you know, with Russia, um, there was such a, like, to, to add to what you said, there's such a different dynamic that played through the whole weekend because, you know, we, we've seen Mercedes be the dominant force at Russia the last three years. They've had every pole, they've had every win, uh, both their cars have been on podiums in, in every round uh, that, that they've competed there, and this go-around... You know, we saw Ferrari sweep the front row for the first time since, like, the French Grand Prix in uh, 2008. So, um, and even bigger, we saw Botas pretty close to the Ferraris, but we saw Hamilton a good four-tenths off of, of the pace in um, qualifying. So, um, I think there's something to be said, though. We had thought for a long time that Mercedes hadn't quite fixed their starting issues. And maybe those starting issues are simply user error and Nico Rosberg and and Lewis Hamilton because, you know, Valtteri Bottas started third on the clean side of the track, uh, and there is such a distinct difference between 
the even side, the dirtier side of the track for second, fourth, and sixth, and so on far far back, and first, third, fifth. Bodas got a, a blazing start, and I don't even know if Ferrari let a lap in the race. Uh, maybe through pit sequence, I think, because he pitted a little bit earlier, or pit, pitted a little bit later but uh, on that first stint. But, um, you know, it, it was a fascinating race, and, and yeah, Bodas got his first win, but um, I was... This is the part where Frank said I had to be PG. Um, yeah, you know, it's pretty. T- you could be PG thirteen. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if I'll go on the rant you did a minute ago though. But um, I tell you, the I don't understand. For once, I'm actually going to agree with with Vettel on shouting on on the radio about blue flags. I know he does it constantly, but you know, we're sitting here seeing. Um, him inch his way all race long, getting closer and closer to Botus. And here we are looking like we're going to have kind of like shades of Spain last year where Raikkonen was, was catching uh, Verstappen and he was on his on his tail the entire last half of that race. And it was just thrilling to watch and compelling because you were waiting for Verstappen to slip up. We saw him kind of come to fruition to, to be the next winner. And we got to see a little bit of that out of Botus because uh, Vettel, here he was, he was coming. And, um, was it two laps left? He he's really started to get in DRS range, open the flaps, and you look in front and he's not really catching Botus. Well, he's getting a toe off Amasa, of uh, his former teammate at Williams last year. So uh, last couple of years. So, and then even worse, um, Botus gets by pretty easy on Massa. There's no threat of anybody near Massa. So he, if he backs off, he's not really losing position. But we get to the last lap and. Vettel's within six-tenths of a second, and six-tenths can be easily made up with the way that that Ferrari was running in the first and second sector, or the second and third sector, rather. And we go through that sweeping uh, sweeping right-hander, uh, turn three, if I remember right, and Moss is just staying in the in the racing lane and just holding him up. And we saw Vettel go from six-tenths back to about 1.3 seconds back. And, you know, it was ridiculous. The, the in outcome, I think Vettel ended four-tenths behind. So he closed eight tenths in sector two and three on on Botus. So there's no telling. I know Vettel says it, it wouldn't have really made a difference, but I look at this and say I think it may have made a huge difference. We may have had a drag race off the final corner. Um, something's got to be done because I thought that was garbage. I, I did. I it put a really ugly stamp in my eyes on what was a really beautifully driven race from Botus. A beautifully ra- beautiful race overall. Russia is usually boring. Um, it was absolutely compelling, and I think at some point, Imasa, ironically, was the first guy to congratulate Botus after that <laughs> was all done, right in front of Vettel. So I, I think something needs to happen, and something needs to change. You know, if you're affecting the outcome of a race, maybe your ass should be suspended for another race, you know, something. Um, it just, it, it it doesn't fly by me at all. I, I think it's it's crappy and personally if this is how Moss is going to be when he comes back from retirement then he should have just stayed retired okay so. yeah <laughs> poor Massa. there so, you go here's, so you're not going to be getting Christmas cards from uh, Philippe you know? yep there you go Maybe now, now, now here's, a, here's an interesting stat <laughs> about the Russian Grand Prix so the Russian Grand Prix was first held in 1913 and 1914 then they had a 100 year break until returning in 2014 to Sochi um, with uh, Boltas win uh, this weekend, uh, all six have been won by Mercedes cars. That's right. The, the first two Russian Grand Prix in 1913 and 1914 were won by Mercedes-Benz. Uh, so they certainly have a stranglehold on the track. But uh, you know, I bet not a lot of people know that. So, um, 
but uh, that's just that's just my interesting useless fact for the day. I mean, I, I want to. I actually just that way. I'm not the only one ranting, or at least maybe I can maybe <laughs> deflate this argument some and not feel like I'm. Uh, maybe I can change Shout my mind Brady. if somebody has. So well, I was we're actually going to get, get Moss on the show next week. I was wanting to get Richard's thoughts on on what he thought about the end of that race with the way Massa handled that. I mean, yeah, I, I think the fact that uh, you know Felipe and Valtteri were, were teammates last year probably doesn't uh, you know isn't a coincidence with with what happened there. I, I think the fact that it was the last lap of the race and it was getting close, I think probably highlighted what happened, but. That sort of thing, you know, goes on all the time, and that sort of gamesmanship, I think, is just part and parcel of, of what happens. And when you try and get in a position where you are controlling that sort of thing, I mean, Massa can, to a certain extent, could have easily turned around and said, "Well, you know, that 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 fast sweeping left hand uh, turn three there, at Russia. You know, you don't want to be sticking yourself out on the, uh, you know, in those marbles that sit there because that's a very much a one line corner." And, you know, he, he can be jeopardizing his race and his finish there. Um, and it's uh, it's a difficult, you know, these days with, with stuff like the virtual safety car technology, do you turn the power down on a car that's about to be lapped so that he has to get out of the way? I, I think you've got to leave it in the driver's hands. And I think over the course of the season, if... If Vettel's going to be world champion, then at some point he's going to get the rub of the green from another driver at some point. And, you know, maybe Hamilton or Bottas or Raikkonen will get um, uh, will get a little bit of a raw deal when it comes to, uh, you know, a backmarker late in a race. And I think over the course of a season, I think it's long enough that it'll, you know, what goes around comes around. And uh, uh, I, I think, you know, that's just... Vettel's getting a little bit of a reputation for being a little bit whiny on the radio. And uh, maybe that doesn't help him. You know, I, I say this, you know, maybe I, I, I do see your point on the one groove in, in three. I, so, I mean, yeah, and absolutely with those kind with the way Pirelli makes tires, it's kind of difficult. If you get out of that groove, you're certainly getting kind of up the track in the wash and putting yourself in a bad spot. I mean, he wouldn't have, I mean, he finished ninth. He was well ahead of, of Saints, though. I mean, couldn't he have slowed down entering that corner? Because Vettel was pretty much there for, since the since the entry of one. But I don't know. I think yeah, I, th- I think you're right. I, I think it did leave a little bit of a you know a, a sour taste in the mouth at the end of the race. You know, it was a great race. It was a compelling race. It was a it's one of those races that you can actually sort of watch just purely on timing and scoring. You know, you don't actually have to watch it. You can just watch lap times and watch sector times and split times, and it's almost as entertaining watching that as it is the actual pictures uh, on the on the TV. But I think that, you know, would he have been able to get up there with Bottas at the end? Uh, I don't know. I think I think Valtteri did what he had to do, and I think he he was good enough. He's been great around that track, even when he was in the Williams. It just suits him, the style of that track. He's in control there. He's dominated his teammate there in the past, and, you know, he, he dominated Hamilton again. I mean, did Hamilton have any real problems this weekend? I mean, that was the surprising thing, for Hamilton to actually finish a race off the podium I think it was China last year where he last finished a race off the podium that he actually completed the race without a mechanical or accident so he really took it to Hamilton and um yeah that, that was that was one of the most surprising things from this weekend that Hamilton just didn't have an answer I mean you, you heard him throughout the radio trans you know throughout the race 
you know, what is as Bottas having problems? Is is the other car got overheating issues? And the reply was, yeah, he is, but he's I mean, a second a lot faster than you. Yeah, I mean Hamilton to to kind of add to how bad it was. I mean Hamilton finished thirty six seconds behind, and. I don't know. To me, Hamilton just didn't seem like he was in it. I, it's kind of like some of the races last year when he just didn't didn't really look like he, he was there, but he really wasn't there. To me, he's always the guy that has to have the rabbit to chase. Uh, he's never the guy that's going to be the lead dog in the pack and and going to stay on top of his game. I, I always feel like he's his best when he's chasing something. Um, you know, I, I will say this um, to kind of. And this isn't meant to be funny or snarky or anything, but Lance Stroll um, had a pretty rough uh, go of it the last few rounds of the start of his rookie campaign. He actually gets a chance to, to come home 11th, finishes one lap down, but but he finishes a race, gets gets some valuable experience. Um, so, you know, props to him for finally getting that done because for a while he was kind of the, the wrecking ball uh, of sorts in F1. Daniel Ricciardo having brake failure issues really early on in lap five. Um, that was pretty rough to see Red Bull retire like that. I mean, they're clearly the third best car, but they're the distant third. Um, and then lastly, just because it's going to move us into our next segment, Fernando Alonso couldn't even start the race. Uh, he's sitting on his warm-up laps. They were getting ready to, to go to the grid, and uh, he had to pull it off to the side with uh, gearbox issues. So, the woes for the McLaren Formula One team uh, continue, and I'll just put this in retrospect to lead us into that segment that I know Frank wants to lead us into so bad. He did 110 laps today at Indy. That's 27 fewer than all of his Grand Prix laps combined. So, um, just putting that in retrospect. So, um, yeah, there you go, Frank. There you go. Yep. So yeah, that's definitely the biggest, the big story of the uh, of the weekend or of the week rather. Yeah, uh, this morning was um, <coughs> Fernando's first. <coughs> excuse me, first test in an Indy car. He's done some simulator time. He had a seat fitting, but uh, and there's nothing like getting in the car. Um, it did everything that he was supposed to do. You know, went through all phases of the rookie orientation program. Um, but I was, you know, I was not surprised to see how many people tuned into that stream to watch one solitary car uh, going around um, the track. Uh, there is definitely a lot of international interest in this. Um, uh, you know, Fernando slowly got the car up to speed, you know, taking it one stage at a time as he was supposed to, uh, uh, you know, despite the fact that, that he wanted to just, you know, mash the pedal there. He said his, uh, his left foot has a mind of its own or has his foot has his own brain, uh, how we put it. Um, he gave a press conference afterward. He was uh, very candid. I mean, there were some of the some of the his comments were really interesting. Um, you know, I, it seems to me that he really um, enjoyed the day. Um, he's enjoying the the team environment with the sharing of information. Um, he's enjoying the history of the track. Um, and uh, I think he's going to do really well come the end of the month. So uh, anybody else who wants to add some comments, just pick it up, take it away. You know, well, thing, well, go ahead. Go ahead. Just, a, just a few figures that I think we ought to be well aware of. So the live stream that we had on Facebook and on uh, YouTube, on YouTube, two hours before he turned a lap, there were 2,300 people already watching. With one hour to go before any running, there were 3,600 people. 
And at the highest on YouTube, there were 70, I believe it was around 77,000 people watching. At a part one and part two, good thing they streamed it in two parts. I think a million people ended up watching on Facebook alone. Then you look at the fat in laps. His very first lap that he turned today was just over 192 miles an hour, and his fastest lap was 222.5 miles an hour. Um, granted, of course, your very first lap, you want to take it easy as well as easy as you can, but that's a significant amount of progress for one day, especially when you consider it's his very first day running an oval car. Yeah, I think his third lap was 208. So, it was. Uh, you know, yeah, so, I mean, I, I, but the thing that struck me was, uh, you know, is how much he seemed, how relaxed he seemed and how much he seemed to, to enjoy the process um, and how gracious – he he was I you know I, I I've always been a fan of Alonzo but I became even more so today w- watching him and watching how he interacted uh, I think Robin Miller interviewed him several times during the course of the day and uh, you know how forthcoming he was with with his answers I tell you what uh, I think he's I think he's really going to enjoy. Uh, the month of May, and I think all the fans are really going to enjoy having him participate in this month of May. Yeah, I mean, I, I tell you what, I was really taken back by this because I'll be the first to admit that I've, I've never been overly captivated by Alonzo. I think he's uh, one of the top five best drivers in the world, um, certainly, but I've never really been enamored. I was... You know, I kind of looked at it. I was like, okay, this is a really cool deal uh, because of the talent level that he is. But getting a chance to see the human element that maybe you don't get to see from from what Formula One media necessarily allows you to see, although that might change the liberty. I mean, obviously things are opening up a little bit more every day. But, um, you know, this unique situation with Zach Brown, who in, in my book – I, you know, Ron Dennis, as wonderful as what he did with McLaren and, and wonderful with his time in F1, I really enjoy what Zach Brown has brought to the table since he took over uh, McLaren back in December. And, you know, you see a lot of a lot of this uh, brought together and you see the human element that, you know, Zach Brown is kind of that contagious, maybe potential car owner in, in an Indy car uh, with some of the talks that have, and questions that he's had to answer as of late. And, um, you know, he's, he's one of the younger guys, so so we're talking about young owners maybe for the future, uh, and that's certainly somebody that could maybe potentially be one. But seeing the human side of Alonzo, getting a chance to, to you know, see him at Barber in person, getting a chance to, to see how he is with this test and how he's embraced everything, how he's enjoying everything, um, you know, it's it's been tremendous, and I've certainly grown to enjoy watching him and learn how to do this. And, and the one thing that really caught me out today that I really enjoy, really took to heart is in the press conference after everything was said and done, he logged those 110 laps, went the maximum speed, I think a little over 222 miles an hour, um, playing 227 going into turn one. Um, the respect he has, he talked about how he just needs to respect the track, respect the car, respect the speed. Not your typical rookie, obviously, um, because of the, the accolades that he comes with, but I really loved what I'm hearing, the fact that he's not just embracing this moment, but he's also treating it with respect because he's respecting kind of what this means to us as well. Yeah. And, um, you know, and that's something to be appreciative of. And, you know, Chris, I remember you You should hopefully remember this. If you don't, you're going to make me look really stupid. But, um 
you know, talking about Barber, um, how you said that a lot of the guys, you know, some of them are really happy for him, but then other ones, you know, they're not really happy with anything, right? We um, don't talk much. Yeah. So, <laughs> but um, I'm really curious to see of those drivers, whether they're for or against this decision, how many of them tuned in. I'd really love to get their take and maybe see if they're itching, saying, oh, well, hey, if Alonzo can do it. Because Alonzo may have been watching Rossi last year saying, well, if, well, if Rossi can do it. And, um, you know, obviously there's been a lot told of the Rossi-Alonzo relationship, which, um, you know, their friendship and, and how he's kind of mentored Rossi, I really didn't have a whole lot of clue on. Um, so to see more of that become a little bit more transparent in front of us is a lot of fun to watch. And maybe this is finally the thing we've been waiting on, to, to blend the two worlds that we've we've been waiting on a crossover period for the last 30 years but one of this magnitude and maybe this is something um not just special for this year but maybe this could be something for years to come on down the road that this continues yeah we're really struck it go ahead chris what really what really hit it home for me i mean you had your moment when you mentioned how much you had to respect this place what really uh made me think highly of fernando today during this test was when he said, you know, I thought I was flat out, my right foot had a mind of its own, it was not connected to my brain, and I wasn't flat out, that really, really said, I get it, you know, that it's not, it's not, oh, it's just four left turns, no, it's it's much more than that, <laughs> and I really, really want to see how he evolves over the course of the month, I mean, just over the course of the whole day, uh, you could see how he got quicker progressively during his time, and of course, you could also see practicing pit entries uh, as if he's gone underneath the green, practicing restarts, practicing even just driving 100 miles an hour around the track underneath the, a fake safety car. Uh, you can see that he treated everything very seriously, and that he wants to do this and do it right, not just do it just to do it. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing him practice at the track. I'm looking forward to seeing how he uh, handles. Excuse me. All the added responsibilities, um, because it's this is a major uh, situation that we have going on here, and frankly, I can't wait to get to the track myself. Yeah, I mean, either. A lot of. I'll tell you, I'm really interested to see. Uh, you know, once the track opens for practice, and you know, Alonzo, uh, you know, obviously, obviously, he's going to be. You know, spend a lot of time on, on a plane back and forth, uh, but I really want to see. You know, once he gets a little more comfortable in that car, running in traffic. Uh, you know, when they do the – and obviously he's got uh, five teammates to kind of help him out when they do those practice traffic runs and whatnot. But I'm really interested to see uh, how that plays out. But I am so impressed with his approach, you know, like the rest of you have touched on. Um, I think this is just good good for everybody involved. It'll be interesting, I think, to see how, you know, when he gets into the into the race and, uh, and gets into the, you know, the, the heat of battle, how the other – drivers handle him you know going wheel to wheel with him you know do they do they treat him like a rookie do they give him respect or do they try and bully him uh into you know saying hey look you're you know you're coming onto our onto our patch here you know this is this is what we do you you know do they try and impose themselves on him well i I tell you what's so funny about that um i talked to a lot of the teammates at barber uh and rossi in particular but also taku to kumasato and, um, you know, it's really very much a team atmosphere and they're doing everything they can to get him up to speed and everything they can to tell him out. And, you know, I think 
a good, for instance, and this is definitely something I wanted to kind of get into before we, we finish up the show, is uh, Marco Andretti shook that car down for him this morning, and Marco ended up running, I think, 11 laps, um, and people are like, oh, that's not that much, but, uh, you know, it was probably going to be a lot a lot less than that, but he continued to shake the car down until they got the, the car equally balanced just to give him a good baseline to, to that way it wasn't too much understeer, too much oversteer. Um, loose and tight for you NASCAR folks. And, um, you know, I think that, um, you know, the the other end of this, though, is, is Marco getting a chance to do that, um, getting a good baseline. A lot of the Andretti people were really taken back by it. And, you know, I, they to, to kind of go back to DeHarty's point, you're like probably listening to him say, oh, they're running 100 miles an hour under pace car laps. Why would they do that? Well, they've got what I recall hearing wheel eight. So that means there's eight different wheel settings, um, you know, for, for the fuel levels there and, um, that they're going to run, whether that's full rich, full lean, whatever they can do to conserve fuel, which you would typically do under yellow flag, uh, pace car, uh, laps prior to the race. Um, so trying to get used to that scuffing the tires. Um, there was a a time, I believe it was exiting turn two, um, slowed down a little bit, weaved back and forth to kind of scuff the tires and then broke like he was going on a restart just to kind of see how the car would respond. Um, late braking uh, to come into pit road coming off of turn four. We saw him smoke the right front a little bit. He, he talked about how the car kind of got a little twitchy uh, because of the heavy brake load. So there was a lot here. Um, he, he also assessed how different it is from F1. He's like, you know, in an F1 car, it takes six minutes to, to go through everything because, you know, you turn the car on and then you've got to go through all the checklists and you've got to do that twice because of all the technology that's involved. You go to a, an Indy car and you just flip the switch and you go. And, um, you know, it was a little bit more of a primitive thing for him. But, um, you know, ultimately something that he, he enjoyed was testing a lot of different things. And, you know, I'm I'm really interested to see how his teammates, like what Richard was talking about, uh, how his teammates handle him. And I don't think they'll handle him any different than the way that, that they handled Rossi last year. And, um, I mean, say what you will about Rossi and a fuel mileage victory, but the kid was still bad fast most of the month. Um, still had yeah, great he, pace. He, so. yeah, he oh, consistently yes, he was, yeah. in a top 10, top 10, top 12 in all the practices. Mm-hmm. He, 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 uh, he, he represented himself pretty well. I'm looking forward to the whole month of May. I think, uh, I mean, uh, when May 15th rolls around, that whole week of practice is going to be very, very interesting. And I think, uh, I think when, uh, I think you'll have a lot of people uh, tuning in to those live streams as well. There was um, there was five sets of tires that IndyCar allotted them or Firestone allotted to them uh, today um, that were going to be part of the. Um, the rookie testing whenever everything gets going May 15th after the Indianapolis GP. And um, so they went through all five sets in the opening 88 laps. Um, and then they took a setup break, good one-hour break, give or take. And we thought weather would hit by then. Weather didn't hit at that point. So they brought the car back out on sticker tires. Now, the, the way it's supposed to work is you're supposed to get seven total sets. But they came out in sticker tires, which would have been their sixth set, but they took them off. They put scuffs on to go run the uh, penultimate run. I'm still unfamiliar with what they did on the final run, if those were still on scuffs. And there's a few people that I've talked to since then, other media members, some that were up there. And that's kind of an unknown if 
believe it or not, if he was still on scuffs. Um, I think I think they showed on TV he was on scuffs because it was my understanding they were going to save two sets for the first day because he'll have to have a uh, uh, rookie refresher refresher on that Monday, and they were going to save the uh, two sets uh, for that. That's that's one thing that I that I think I heard them say. On there, and I do believe I watched the afternoon session, and I believe the last uh, the last times uh, he went out, he was on uh, he was on scuff tires. If there was a chance that he was on stickers on that final run, I know he didn't get a chance to go full song on that thing because the moisture hit the back stretch of that track around then, and still so, ran still ran still ran two nineteen. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think ultimately, I mean, he'll be fine. I think we're going to have two sets for him on May 15th, but if there's one reason why he may not get that, that two sets and why you may only see him with one set for the rookie refresher on May 15th, that would be the reason why. Um, but again, I don't anticipate that happening. Something I wanted to jump in on just to kind of put a little bow tie on the uh, international interest of this event. Uh, one thing I like to look at is, you know, various message boards online to see you know what the interest is and all just to give you a little bit of a comparison on autosport.com's message boards they actually have a nice technical forum they also have one about general racing knowledge and all um the thread about last year's indy 500 was 1750 post for the alonzo test this year just actually i think like for the entire alonzo announcement 2434 posts over 49 pages the, the, the we haven't even had a car go on track for an official practice session for after the GP and we're already at almost 50 pages. I mean, this is absolutely amazing. The amount of attention that this has drawn and we still haven't had an official practice session. This is a major, major benefit for IndyCar. And I hope that they can truly capitalize on it the way that they have so far. It's been amazing. I know that, I know that we're about to close the doors on this, but before we do, mostly because I always enjoy picking Richard's brain. Um, cause I always think it's fascinating the stuff he's got to say. You were, you were around in racing, uh, and I imagine you were in F1 when we saw crossovers, I'm, I'm guessing around the Nigel Mansell time period. Maybe I'm overshooting that, but um, maybe not. But that I do want uh, That was well before my time. Okay, okay. Well, <laughs> but I did, but, follow, I, I did follow, actually, around about 1991, 92 was the first year that I got interested in motorsport. So I do remember those times, yeah. But but you being a guy who was was fully involved in F1 and now you're fully involved in NASCAR two different worlds entirely but I'm curious where you where you know or maybe where you feel the pulse is on on how this is being received across just not just IndyCar and 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 what we get a chance to see in America but just throughout the entire world of motorsports in F1 and in NASCAR I think it certainly uh, reignited the interest in uh, open wheel racing in America outside of America. You know, you know, as we sort of talked a little bit about the Phoenix race, there's not that much interest for in it uh, over here at times. But you know, going back to that sort of the early '90s when when Mansell came over here and was successful, and then there was uh, a few races over in Europe and at Brands Hatch and uh, Laudits Ring in Germany. It's always sort of been looked at as, you know, a good racing series and there's entertainment there. But F1 is so dominant that it, it's never really had a, a, you know, a, a fair crack at exposure. And I think with Alonso going over there now as a current driver, a top driver, somebody who is very, very highly respected, I think it, it sort of gives a little bit of... Um, you know, justification to the sport a little bit. Uh, people see... 
you know, Max Chilton and uh, Alex Rossi come over here and, you know, no disrespect to them, they didn't pull up any trees in Formula 1 and be reasonably competitive and re- reasonably successful. So some people do question the level of um, uh, of where the technology and the driver ability is in IndyCar. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, how Alonso comes out of that. And, uh, and you know, if he really struggles, then I, mean, I don't think for one moment he will do. But if he does struggle, then that'll be an interesting thing to see how people react to that. Um, but it's always good to have that sort of cameo or guest appearance or whatever it is you know any tv shows everybody loves it when they get a guest you know a guest actor in a in, in a tv show or a you know a guest musician at a concert sort of thing so and i think it's just it just captures people's imagination a little bit you know alonzo coming over here and uh and you know just increasing that exposure because i love indycar racing i think it's a fantastic series i think there's some great racing in there it's just i think they, at times they struggle to market it and they struggle to sell the product uh, and, and if this helps, and I think with the viewing figures that we saw online from basically one guy just driving around a track by himself, uh, you know, they're pretty good viewing figures. Absolutely, yeah. Incredible viewing figures. Can't wait for the rest of the month. Well, guys, we are up against the clock here. Um, so this coming weekend, we've got uh, Cup Series is in Talladega. Is that correct? That's correct. Yep. All right. IndyCar will have the weekend off as we prepare for the Grand Prix of Indy. Uh, Formula One, are we on an off week or are we racing? Yeah, they're off. They're, off week. they're in Spain. Off, off week and then, yeah. and then on to Spain, yeah, on to Alonso's home Grand Prix, uh, where I'm sure that he'll be asked a lot more questions about uh, his uh, experience over here. Um, so let's go ahead and put in a pick in for Talladega. Who wants to go first? I'll throw it up in the air. I'll go, go first. first. Uh, you go first, Frank. You go first, Frank, then I'll go. Okay, well, I'm going to take Keselowski because uh, Penske's been strong, and it's tough to bet against Brad at Talladega. He always does well there. I'm going to go out on the limb, and I'm going to say we're going to have a first-time winner uh, this weekend. I'm going to say Ryan Blaney uh, is going to finally finally get uh, his first win. Another Penske car. Absolutely. Okay, who's next? Yeah, I mean, I, I look at this, and you know, I mean, it's a crapshoot, but I, I like what I'm seeing out of uh, out of the Ford camp for sure. But I like even more so what I'm seeing out of Clint Boyer. Uh, I know that I was laughed at for picking him at Fontana when he finished third, but um, he's had a couple of pretty good runs and uh, former winner at Talladega. Yep. I don't anticipate Daytona winner Kurt Busch uh, mixing it up for the win, or you know, maybe Kevin Harvick. But I, I ultimately got to give this to uh, to Clint. All right, Chris, Seth. Uh, well, what do you, for me, I'll need to pick Danica. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> wow, there you go. There's that lap. Man, that's that's great. Oh, uh, no. Well, I was going to say, y'all left Dale Jr. on the table. Oh, yes. come on. <laughs> I was going to pick Salvega. <laughs> I mean, Salvega. So. if he can finish a race, that'd be a start. As long as Jimmy Johnson don't wreck him, you know. <laughs> so I, I'm gonna go with Dale Jr. Sorry, Richard. Oh, thanks. Um, oh, I was gonna say because oh, come on. Um, <laughs> those Fords do look strong, though, don't they? Those Fords do look strong. Um, yeah, let's let's go for. Remember Ricky who you work for. I know, I know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what. Austin Dillon's pretty stout at Dega. I mean, restrictor play package, if yep. I remember, I heard right, Slugger stayed home to 
to get that plate car up and running. But not not only that, but Austin Dillon's the only one that I know of to find two different ways to finish seventh at Daytona <laughs> on the ground and in the fence. Yeah, we hopefully don't want to repeat of that. We'll be uh, we'll be a bit busy if we have that. But I think uh, you know those Fords do look strong, and he had a good run uh, last weekend at Richmond. But uh, you know Ricky Stenhouse Jr. could be uh, he could be up there to pick a Ford car that hasn't been picked yet. All right, so DeHardy, I think you've got the last pick. The guy in the second place coming to the white flag. That's All right. it. All right. Oh. So you're so always, you got that. Always a really oh. lame answer. And wait, Chris, Chris. What if it's one of the people we pick? Then y'all can KMA. (laughs) (laughs) All right. On that note, we'll say goodnight. (laughs) We'll convene in a week's time. Uh, You know, thank you, Gray. Thank you, Richard, Seth, Chris, Joey. Uh, Appreciate all you guys coming on. Um, Keep watching the races, guys. Uh, Appreciate all you listeners. We'll uh, talk to you all in a week. Good night. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.